broadcasting live on the Mix Radio Network. You're listening to Casey Ryan on the cutting room floor. Casey, the floor is yours. All right, how you doing, everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of the Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase the new entertainers and creative types from all walks. So I like to say, if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, then I want to hear from you. Uh, easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can ask anybody that knows me. I'm well engaged on there at Cutting Room MRMR, at Cutting Room MRB, uh, or you can hit me up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Cutting Room MRB, or shoot me an email cuttingroomfloor.mrb at gmail.com. If you want to be on the show, if you got a, a track that you want me to play, uh, if you're a musician, let me know what you're thinking about it. If you have a crowdfunding campaign that you want me to promote, I'm happy to do it. Uh, quick thank you as we do at the top of the show to The Wolf, who acts as my announcer, um, and to Michael Cardello for playing me on, and to Briade Radio 1 in Los Angeles and Film Snobbery in ta- uh, Nashville for having me syndicated in those two markets as well. Uh, also... Uh, yeah. Also, a, uh, a quick thank you here to uh, to Tracy McCormick. Uh, we give credit where it's due. Tracy's in a, uh, been a huge supporter of mine over the last couple of years. Uh, who's sent me all kinds of guests, uh, you know, from all different walks, and it's always a, a point of pride to be able to work with somebody that Tracy's pointing my way. Um, so I'm doing a double today. Uh, this is something that you know, kind of the perfect storm hit, and, and I had a, a bunch of different people coming to me and asking me if I had room. And I'm doing the show about every other week now because I've got a couple of other creative projects that I'm working on on the side but uh, it's nice to be popular what can I tell you but it's been a lot of fun too Uh, so I'm going to be doing the show every second week but when I do do them I'm probably going to be running a little bit long and throwing in the extra guests here and there so uh, today I've got four guests lined up for you I'm going to be doing close to two hours Uh, but uh, the first guest I have lined up again is a referral from Tracy McCormick (laughs) Uh, Kat Sullivan is here, and she's uh, from New York originally. She's an activist uh, for the voiceless and disbelieved women out there. Uh, she's also the creator of an initiative called Pass the Mic, which is a platform uh, for women to raise their voices, and, and there's multi multiple layers to this. Uh, so I'm very interested in hearing more about what she's doing and, and uh, you know all the great work that she's done so far and, and uh, all this advocacy uh, type stuff that she's got going on here. Uh, so for the first time, uh, it's always great to have people on here for the first time. The Cutting Room Floor proudly welcomes Kat Sullivan. Uh, Kat, how are you? <laughs> good, how are you? Good, good. Uh, so the first question I always have for everybody when they're on here for the first time, Kat, is just a bit of an icebreaker. Uh, did I get your bio information more or less right, or is there anything that you'd like to add? No, that sounds good. Okay, great, great. Um, so pass the mic. Uh, you know, I, I guess what are you trying to do with this specifically? Specifically, I was trying to figure out what to do after um, some activism for survivors of childhood sexual abuse, um, of which I am one. And we were advocating for um, mandated reporting laws to be universal um, between both public and private institutions in New York. Um, We passed that law and 1.5 million more children were protected that were not previously. And what that means is even though it would be like like a school or a summer camp, if it was a private institution, they were not mandated reporters in the state of New York. And so, therefore, it was not illegal to not call police if you became aware or suspected abuse. 
And so after that victory, we all sort of gathered ourselves and said, what do we do next? And everyone sort of scattered into the wind. And I was left thinking, what do I want to do? And what I wanted to do was really pass the mic because it took so much work to like years. I mean, there were people fighting for this legislation for 13 years. I myself personally was involved in it for only three of the 13. And there's a lot of work that goes into it. And it's very presumptuous to think that we are capable of doing everything, right? There's people that, that are doing the work and that need help um, doing the work. So they don't need you to do it for them. They need your help to do it better and to get more of a voice. And so we're trying to do that. Um, we think it's important to pass the mic. If we have a microphone that we can offer people much in the same way that you're doing for your listeners, uh, we have a responsibility to help those who are doing the good work. Um, and so then all of a sudden we had abortion bans and had to really think about that. And here's what I've come up with. You ready? Go for it. The correlation can be made that Uh, Where we see inequality for women, others will suffer. Um, The inequality of women is an indicator of other problems within a culture and ultimately society itself. Um, That's a very profound hypothesis. (laughs) I've heard people, I mean, we know if we argue pro-choice, pro-life, that there are going to be typically the same arguments and the same positions. And so what I've tried to do is dissect further into it to avoid those conflicts, such as religion, right? Um, And look at what we're really talking about is suffering. Right. And as a registered nurse, specifically a registered nurse who works with medically fragile pediatrics, those are the kids who may be on like a ventilator, uh, life support, uh, feeding tube, And we work very closely in that care setting as um, licensed medical professionals to make sure that there is an environment of hope because hope provides the most healing. Um, But then there also must be what we call modalities in place to ensure that um, the comfort and the healing are also there. So you can't just create a nice environment Um, You have to make sure that you're doing other things to promote that within um, the patient experience. So what are we doing within society to make sure that those who are suffering um, have an ease of suffering or that we remove the burden of suffering? And while we can look at abortion as being women's rights, we can also look at when you pass an abortion ban what are the other things that happen within that society that matriculate from that decision? So basically, what dominoes do you knock over? Okay, now you're, you're touching on a number of different things, and I'm, I'm frantically scribbling down some notes here because I want to make sure that I get it all. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to applaud your, your work as an RN, and, and I'll say this with my hand on my heart because my, my sister, who I think very, very highly of as a registered nurse, she works with geriatrics patients, and I, I've often told Amy, who's, is her name, that, that, uh, that nursing is one of these jobs that, that isn't so much a job so much as it is a calling, so I, I very much appreciate it. And, and you know, have a lot of respect for what you're doing there. Um, now, so let me simplify. So, like, basically, we see all of these things that are happening, right? Right. We see all of these things. That, um, 
when we look at abortion ban, just out of curiosity, I looked up how many abortions were performed in the state of Georgia. And I was provided to the, you know, the statistics and it was 31,000 in 2017. So theoretically, um, if all children were born healthy and well, uh, you would have 31,000 more children a year in Georgia entering the foster care system. And that's when we start looking at cause and effect. Now, and now, then we start measuring suffering differently. Now, 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 I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts on this because, um, and I'm, I'm going to pick my words very carefully here, but, but <clears throat> you know, abortion laws and, and uh, you know, the debate over abortion is almost one of these political topics that seems to become a really charged that's the, that's the debate, point. Point, debate point about once every generation, right? That, that, it, that you know, people go away and they focus on other things, but this one always comes back. I guess, I guess you know, why is the political climate, do you think, you know, ripe now for, for, you know, for this to be discussed again? I think that, and this is going to sound very cynical, but that's kind of where I am with it, is that the airwaves have been hijacked by political agendas fair point and and because they are no longer sincerely devoted to amplifying the voice of the people um they've become tools with which to recruit um for different political parties and they basically push the right buttons and you'll get this group of people and if you light up these lights, then you're going to get this group of people. And if you wave a flag, these people will show up. And so we are becoming conditioned to respond to stimulus or buzzwords like hashtags and to feel a certain way about something, right? And so much so that we will not be convinced otherwise. And at that point um, in the medical profession, we call it tunnel vision. Right. And so if you have tunnel vision, you're like, I know what this is. This is um, this person needs an appendectomy. And then what you miss is like an ectopic pregnancy, um, which is why when we evaluate symptoms and we um, look at things under the microscope, we're doing that because we want to have the closest thing to the truest answer as possible. And our goal, again, is um, with a patient, we don't want there to be suffering. We want there to be health. We want there to be thriving. And so if you look at society as though it was maybe a patient or maybe a group of patients, um, different ingestions, right? They've, they've swallowed different things. And so they're having different ailments as a result of it. And you have to figure out where is that coming from and what do we do about it? So I was trying to think what kind of machine or what kind of mechanism could we make um, knowing what variables we have. And so I thought the first place to start is to listen to the people and to pass the microphone to the people who are suffering. And, and it's interesting, and to, the, the interesting, uh, you, you picked up on an interesting choice of words there because I, I was watching over the course of the last couple of weeks, I watched a lecture with, uh, with Carl Bernstein, who uh, was the reporter who famously exposed the Watergate scandal back in the 70s. <clears throat> and, and he said that, that really the, the mark of a good journalist, uh, and I'm probably taking this out of context, but, but his main message was that, that there needs to be a search for the best available version of the truth. 
right? Yep. N not the truth, but the best available version of it. And, and uh, that, that there's not a lot of diligence that goes on now. And he, he cited one of the, the news networks. I won't say which one, but it, it, I'll say it. it was Fox News, right? That, that, that yep. he was saying was one of the, the biggest political forces out there, but that they just go on there and pretty much say whatever the hell they want, right? So. Well, and, that, and so that's and that's where society, um, you know, there's a law that changed somewhere in, I believe, the 80s, where news sources such as Fox News or ABC or NBC, the different, you know, the different call signs, right, right. they were no longer held to the legal standard of reporting facts. They were allowed to speculate, whereas before that was not a practice that they did, because when we speculate, um, really, you could just be making things up, you know, and and that's kind of what they do. If, if you watch news, which I try not to, um, I try to read the news, um, there will be commentary that is just extra. It's extra. And it, and it clouds the issue and it takes away from maybe what's actually being discussed or the actual problem and we get distracted. So we don't want anyone to be distracted. We want to take very specific problems within society that are causing suffering. And we want to ask a question. And we want to invite the people um, that are either working in activism or organizations locally to that issue. And we want to hand them the microphone to let us know how we can help them better. And to listen to the voice of the people that they are fighting for, for either social justice or... Um, some sort of process that needs to be in place so the suffering stops. Does that make sense? That, that makes sense. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask you another question. Well, why do you think that that uh, even today in, in, in 2019 that, that we have a culture, as much as we're trying to change it and as much as, you know, a lot of societal forces out there are trying to change it, but that that fosters to a certain extent a culture of cover-up, whether it's within, you know, the, you know, the Catholic Church or uh, any of the other major organizations, that, that there's a tendency, first and foremost, for adults to protect other adults. Yeah, well, I can, I can speak to that. A lot of um, where I was abused was a private all-girls school in upstate New York. Um, ironically... It's also the alma mater of Kirsten Gillibrand, who's running to be the first female president. She actually has set up her headquarters across from our alma mater um, in order to run her campaign. And I will tell you that via a staffer, when, when myself and other alumni, 105 of us, came forward saying that we had been abused at the school and the school acknowledged it, um, she didn't give more than a couple of sentences saying that pretty much that was awful. And I, I wish for, I wish for healing for those people. Um, but she had a larger microphone. She did, and she also could have just listened to what the people were saying. And I understand that people become busy, but this is the problem within society: is that once people who start with the mission to help others then become influenced by power regimes, right, and influence. Right and donors, um, that's, that's when the system becomes corrupted. And without sounding too anarchist, um, basically we want to look at a couple of different variables. We've got suffering, um, facts, awareness, voices of the victims. We're trying to find resolution, justice, and healing. And what we're going to do with this project is we're basically going to inject love, 
understanding, acknowledgement, and a desire to help and to pass the microphone to the people who need the help so that others can see them, not listen to someone on the news reporting about their suffering, actually talking to those who are suffering, not speculating as to how horrible it must be for them, ask them how horrible it is. And once we have that information, although I, you know, we've got plenty of examples, to not just push it away because it's uncomfortable, not just click on a sad button or, or click on a heart button or click on a like button, that doesn't reach those people. That doesn't help those people. Um, so I guess my answer is the reason we have these problems, the reason that people stop caring is because they become more concerned about themselves. And, and when they have power, not everyone uses it in the way that it should be used. No, and uh, to be honest, it's a sad state of affairs. But but one of the things that that I find grating is is when you know something tragic happens, and the first thing you know the people of influence say is thoughts and prayers. Right? People don't yep. people don't need this anymore. The time for that has passed. You know, right. people need to start. Do- so, people need to start doing stuff. Right? Yeah, and so I mean, if you look at it, and there's always dichotomy in things, but you know, I'm going to make a statement. The United States is a culture of suffering and we can take small samples of the suffering and we can examine them and we can look at the culture and the systems in place that perpetuate it. Um, And then we can also say society can no longer be spectators to suffering without being complicit. That's only fair. (laughs) Um, The United States also has the capacity to become a culture of respect and tolerance Um, in sharing experiences, we can grow and we can thrive as a society. So what our project seeks to do is to help society achieve like a balance between like wisdom and, and compassion so that it can focus forward so that it can, it can move past those historical atrocities so that it can help the people that are hurting right now we can make it more fair we can make them we can elevate them to the rest of society um so we're trying to explore like new ways to catalyze enlightenment i guess if you want to call it and and really to encourage healing because we can't just look at the middle class and we can't just look at our gross index and there's those things are not indicators of how society is doing um but we feel that inequality for women is an indicator, and it tells us that there's more problems. Now, now you you also touched on something very salient that I, I want to bring back up here. That that, that uh, your sounds like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You're not, you're not necessarily just advocating uh, sort of a support system for the victims, as important as that is. But that that uh, you also raised something else that's very interesting. That you're also looking to help the people that are helping these people. Right. Because we can't, like, if I were to pick, like, let's say I'm like, all right, Kat's done with sex laws in New York. Where does she go next? And I'm like, that was such a learning curve. It's so specific. Um, There are plenty of people that were with me that are now speaking about their sexual trauma. And that's not something I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to do that. So I'm like, what do I do next? I'm like, I would like to help other people with the work that they're doing because it's important. And I value it. And I can't be the one to do it. But what I can be is the person to help them uh, get louder and sort of break through the static 
so that they are acknowledged and heard and the people that they're trying to help that they too are are lifted up because if we if we stop where we are turn around and reach our hand out to bring someone else up with us then there are two of us right it's not just myself pushing through life um and that's really what it should be i think that we're using the wrong things to measure how well our society's doing here so there's going to be some art involved i haven't talked about that okay and uh, let, let's talk about that i i understand that uh you know this is a good segue into this and this is one of the uh the last topics that i wanted to bring up with you but uh, i i know that you uh from the sounds of things were were somewhat inspired by a a, a very uh a poignant piece of filmmaking called uh, three billboards outside of ebbing missouri yeah right yeah she just sort of epitomized um a woman who just had to do something. It wasn't enough that she had anger and, and those feelings and the need for something within her. She actually did something. And when she did that, she sent her energy out, right? right? And it matriculated. And so we're actually taking feminist art and we're putting up a billboard, um, one in each state that is past abortion bans. So I, I believe today, currently there are eight states. And uh, you know what's the context of the art, and how how do you uh, how do you source it? Do you, do you uh, put out a call for submissions? I, I guess give us some examples of, of the ones yeah. that that you've actually elected to to choose and put up on billboards. So we've changed our model. Okay. Um, initially, we were we were using feminist art to voice their um their opinion about the abortion bans to really empower them to be able to speak what they wanted to speak and then what changed it was um the woman in alabama who has been charged with the murder of her child um she was shot in the stomach she was pregnant and she was shot in the stomach by someone else and she has now been charged with her own murder and that made me take pause because it made me realize that um that was very dark that's a very dark change in policy and in legislation and in practice of the law. And so I said, all right, stop what we're doing right now. We need to send light and support and hope to the women in Alabama because right now they are not in a safe state. And, and what, what some of the uh, the reactions or feedback that you've gotten, uh, I mean, are people quick to adopt this as a cause when, when you go into a state like Alabama? Or, or uh, I, The answer is no. no. Um, Alabama okay. was actually very challenging to work with okay. um, in the ad department. And I've worked with the ad agency in like five other states in other projects. And it really was a difference because I'm working with their like Alabama's regional manager for uh, Montgomery. Okay. And there was um, resistance. Uh, there was resistance. There were delays. And then ultimately, you know, it modified our ability to post some of this feminist art. And so we're changing the way we do things. We don't want it to be a contentious campaign. We do want it to be provocative. Right. People should stop and think. But what we want to send them instead of um, maybe taunting the opposition for the women who are suffering in Alabama, because we would be doing it on their behalf, um, telling that we these people matter. These are their rights. You can't mess with their rights. 
then uh, we need to do uh, is focus all our love and energy. And, and, and speaking purely from a position of ignorance, right? Um, and, and I, I very much appreciate and inherently agree with the statement, but but uh, that you didn't want it to be. Uh, you wanted it to be provocative, but not contentious. I think was what you said, right? Yeah. I, I, I guess how do you qualify one versus the other? I mean, those are both fairly subjective, right? They are, but I think that when you look at the intent behind the message, so there's the stand your line statements. Okay, all right. So if I say my body, my choice, I'm making a line and I'm standing up against the opposition. I'm right. being very direct about it. Right. I'm still expressing myself. I have a right to express myself. But in changing the messaging to women of Alabama, um, you are not alone. You know, you are loved we respect you, um, whatever else the artist wants to say, basically. So artists are being asked and we're working with um, an Israeli artist as well, who in the future will have some information about that, who's going to be creating art that is seeking to channel like the energy and send it to the people who need the help. And then we have another component to the art later that's going to be asking questions of the leaders of those states. Um, I, I wanted to take a, uh, a, a quick pause here. Uh, I, I think Ali Rivera just joined. Ali, are you there? I am here. Okay, so Ali, uh, you're on with Kat Sullivan. And, uh, we've been talking about uh, some of the advocacy work that she's been doing uh, specifically in, in the states that are passing abortion laws. And uh, <clears throat> uh, Kat, I just wanted to introduce you to uh, Ali Rivera, who's an actress who's going to be working on one of the web series that I'm going to be promoting in my next segment. So, Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> so, uh, okay, uh, first of all, Kat, I, I applaud the work that you're doing. Uh, and, uh, Ali, maybe if you could just mute yourself there. Just for... <laughs> Ali, maybe if you could just mute yourself. We're getting a little bit of feedback from your mic there. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, okay, so, Kat, where can people go to learn more about your work? And I'd love to have you back, by the way, if, if uh, a little further down the line, if you have some news that you'd like to share with us, because I, I don't think that this is, uh, conversation's over, and I'd, I'd love to have you back. So I just I sort of set the groundwork for, like, where did this idea come from? And then you'll see how the machine um, is, like, the different components of the machine are being built and, like, what what it's going to be because it's kind of it's a it's a thing it's not just billboards there's other components and there's going to be theatrical art and other things involved to try to um, get attention for these people so that we can pass them the microphone that we've generated basically <laughs> and help them be louder so they can follow us at cat labs that's with a k okay k-a-t-l-a-b-s inc i-n-c and that's on instagram twitter facebook um, and then we are working on a catlabsinc.com, but it's not quite ready yet. Okay, so you got the whole works covered in terms of, uh, you know, the basic main social media channels and, and the like, right? Yep. So, uh, I, again, I applaud the work you're doing. And again, thank you to our mutual friend, Tracy, for, uh, you know, for having arranged this introduction. This was one of the uh, more salient conversations that I've had in a long, long time. So, uh, again, I applaud the great work that you've done, and, and I'd be proud to have you back anytime that you like. All right? Thank you, Lindsay. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good day. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, and, Ali, are you, uh, are you still there? Okay, 
now we're going to do some... I'm still here, sorry. Okay, right, not, not a problem. Okay, so we're going to see if we can get uh, Tim O'Leary. Uh, I have the iron! Okay. I'm uh, at a park, so... You're, you're at a park? Might be a little okay. loud. I'll not, try and mute myself. Not, not a problem. Yeah, I'll try and mute, mute myself okay. when it's too loud. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, so let me just see if I can uh, get Tim in here. Okay. All right. Okay, uh, Tim, are you there? That is me. Yep, right. I'm Tim, and I have Kara Matsuko here with me. Okay, Hi. Yeah, Kara, and I've got uh, and I've got Ali Rivera here. So I got that. We have a quorum. Hi, guys. All right. Hey, Ali. Okay. So you have someone there with you too. I do. Yeah, we, yeah. We're 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 gonna have some uh, we're gonna have some play-by-play -play commentary, I think, on this one. So uh, okay, what we're gonna do, guys, is I'm gonna take a, uh, a quick. Uh, Mid-show break here to uh, run a commercial I have for another podcast. Uh, Gary Mitchum Reeves and, and Rob Goki. Uh, we're going to play the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up, and then I've got a uh, group from Lithuania here, uh, a progressive rock group called The Skies, and uh, we're going to play a track called The Singing Tree. So I'm going to uh, ask uh, that all of you please put yourselves on mute, and we'll be back with you in about five or six minutes. All right? Okay. Will do. Cool. Floyd County, Rome, Georgia, live on the air. <laughs> We're back with an all-new season of Mitchum, and this time we've got a special guest with us. Our very good friend and sister and new cousin and relative, Lana Inslee. The woman who broke open Mitchum's case on Undisclosed joins us this season for a very special episode. The last episode, 10, was when I heard Lana for the first time, and I heard for the first time uh, what Bo Salmon told her, how he killed Grace. Lana joins us on the Mitchum podcast to talk about who really killed Grace Reynolds. Actually, Susan called me and um, asked me if I would speak with her about a case that she was working on. And I said, well, if it's concerning the man in Georgia that got sent off for killing a lady named Grace, he did not do that. A uh, guy named Bo Solomon did that. This season we've got more car chases, more heartwarming moments, and more stories from Mitchum's dangerous past. I got a gun under the counter, and this is one of those things where you, you just, best thing you can do is hope you live through this. And the guy reached over the counter and put the gun in my eyes, right between my eyes. I mean, he had it in my head, man. All new stories for season two of Mitchum, coming June 3rd. Welcome to Mitchum. It's the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up with your host, Jason Hadley. Donald Trump showed up to a British golf tournament wearing a hat that said, Make America Great Again. The Brits reacted by suggesting we give it back. Over dwindling ratings, TLC was forced to cancel the fifth season of their reality show, Gypsy Sisters. For those unfamiliar with the show, Gypsy Sisters follows the lives of romantical gypsy women living in West Virginia. 
Okay, that was an older one. We're going to try the newer one here. Sorry, Mr. Hadley, but we'll uh, call up the newer one. We're going to do the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up now. It's the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up with your host, Jason Hadley. After rapper 50 Cent publicly shamed people for not paying their debts, fellow rapper Biz Marquis paid 50 the money he owes him in food stamps. Despite it not being cash, 50 can still use it for gambling. Taco Bell's been taking EBT for years. Madonna continues to receive backlash over her latest music video, which depicts a scene recreating the Pulse nightclub shooting in Miami. Madonna's usually considered royalty at nightclubs, however, it's not like she can go anywhere else ever since being unable to travel during daylight, her near-constant bloodlust, and developing a severe garlic allergy. The accuser in Kevin Spacey's criminal sexual assault trial recently filed a civil lawsuit from the alleged groping incident when he was 16. In a public statement, Spacey acknowledged the charges and then came out as gay, when he should have come out as dyslexic, claiming he thought the accuser was 61. And that's the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up. Follow us on Twitter at Rock and Wrap Up.
from Lithuania. That was The Skies, and uh, the song was called The Singing Tree. That was the new one out by them. And again, uh, with a thank you to The Skies for letting me play that track, and to Emma Scott, who is the official music supplier of the Cutting Room Florida. Emma Scott works with Plugin Baby, and you can find her on Plugin Baby on uh, on Twitter. She sends me all kinds of really cool stuff every single week. <clears throat> Uh, a little bit of feedback there too because I had a couple of different windows open so my apologies to the disguise for the first couple of bars of that but uh, we, we got that fixed up but again a lot more mellow than we usually play but for the first guest that we had on I thought that was a little bit more appropriate um, okay so in the second leg of the show here uh, we're going to give a shout out to a, a very good friend of the cutting room floor Leah Savoli who uh, in addition to having been on here a couple of times herself L Leah has teed up without word of a lie some of the best interviews that I've done in 10 years and uh, I don't know what I'm going to get whenever Leah comes I, I usually know it's worth dropping everything and picking up whatever lead that she's brought me so um, again I, I say that with all sincerity Leah is a, a very very uh, gifted campaign manager for uh, for crowdfunding um, very well connected in the independent uh, uh, entertainment scene out there in, in Los Angeles and, and again Leah thanks a lot for all of the support over the years. I really appreciate it. Uh, so today, uh, we've got a panel discussion going for you here. Uh, again, this is uh, the latest referral that I'm getting from uh, from Leah. I've got uh, two actresses that, that are actually attached to the uh, web series that they're looking to launch here called Demon Hunter. Uh, uh, Ali Rivera and Kara Mitsuko are, are here. Uh, I'll let Ali tell you a little bit more about herself. But Kara uh, is an actress from originally from Northern California, and she broke into television with a role on a popular Amazon series called The Man in the High Castle. Um, and she's also joined today by the writer and director of uh, Demon Hunter, which is the new series. Uh, Tim O'Leary is here. And, uh, Tim is a writer-director who specializes in sci-fi, horror, fantasy uh, scripts with the comedian twist to them um, and he's also committed to stories that showcase uh, characters that, that uh, figure prominently from the uh, LGBTQIA uh, community or uh, people call it people of color as leads uh, so without further ado when forces collide we get a really bitchin looking web series here that I can't wait to sink my teeth into called Demon Hunter uh, that's currently on the crowdfunding campaign uh, trail here on uh, on Seed and Spark. So uh, the Cutting Room Fuller proudly welcomes all three for the first time. Uh, Ali Rivera, Kara Mitsuko, and Tim O'Leary. How are you doing, everybody? Great. We're yeah, doing good. good. Thank you. So, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that Leah brings you the best uh, interviews. So now the gauntlet's uh, I, 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 I never know what I'm going to get. Uh, Leah's brought me some really, really, really cool people over the years. And I know that whenever she says, hey, Case, have you got a minute? I drop everything. So, so when she said she said I had somebody on a crowdfunding, yes, whatever the hell it is, I'll, yes. So, oh, love it. Thank right. you. So, yeah. Uh, Okay, so Ali, I, I guess, you know, just because, and I very much appreciate you taking time out of your schedule here to join us, but I, I didn't have the time to do as much research on you, but is there anything that you'd like to tell us about yourself? Um, I'm, um, I'm originally a Midwesterner, came to L.A. through the East Coast, I was in New York for a little bit, and um, kind of started in theater, and then made my way to L.A., and um, I learned how to produce, which has been kind of an amazing thing. So, um, joined forces with Tim last year. Oh my God. No, Tim, it was like two years ago. Um, on a show called mom's anonymous, which I 
created, but Tim wrote, and um, we, we just worked really, really well together. He said, I've got this other project that I would love to work with you on, and kind of that's where we are today. Okay, and uh, for Karen and Tim, the first question I always have for everybody when they're on here for the first time, just a bit of an icebreaker. Did I, did I get your respective bios right, or is there anything that you'd like to add about yourselves before we get started here? Um, no, I mean, that sounded good to me. How about you? Uh, I mean, I guess the only thing I would add is that I also have a bit of a producing background. I'm part of a film collective called The Film Kind, um, okay. which is basically right. just a group of artists that support each other, plug each other, and uh, give each other feedback on, on projects. Great. Right, and uh, so the, we can jump right into it here in terms of uh, you know the the series that you're working on together. Uh, I guess Tim, I'll start with you. Uh, what is Demon Hunter about? I, I guess how did you conceive of this, and and uh, how did you get started with it? What are you doing with it? Uh, so Demon Hunter is a web series in the horror, thriller, comedy, action, silly genre. Um, you know that genre, we're all fans. And uh, it's about two guys who are mediums, which means they can sense the presence of demonic energy. Uh, and rather than altruistically, heroically save people, they instead decide to go the capitalist route and uh, make some money off of it, you know, make a good buck. So they create an app called Demon Hunter where people can hire them to come to their homes and just beat the stuffing out of the demons and ghosts that are haunting them. Uh, and over the course of the first season, the team grows to six, uh, which includes uh, a gay telepath, a bisexual witch, uh, a, a lesbian sarcastic stoner, and a, a genie who becomes human. <laughs> so, so just a grand old-fashioned grab bag of, In your, a of, of your regular yeah. archetypes. It, you know, it's it's based on Chekhov's uh, The Cherry Orchard, obviously. Uh, of course, um, yeah. <laughs> very Shakespearean. <laughs> that, that just, holy <laughs> shit. Wait, Chekhov wrote the Cherry Orchard, right? Yes, he did. Okay, all right, just making sure. Okay. Yes, I don't after after a quote like that, Tim. I really don't think it matters. I hate to tell you, but Leah, I'm going to say this again, Leah. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> all right. Cool. Uh, okay, so I, I guess Tim, I, I watch your promo video. Kidding aside, and. Uh, you know, I, I'll throw the question open to all three of you, is that, you, that this really was a project that was to a certain extent driven by inclusiveness, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So, uh, the, the, you know, the main point being is that when you watch a lot of shows like, you know, I don't need to say them, but a lot of the ones that all of us are fans of, uh, that, that there there was no... There weren't a lot of visible minorities in there, and there were there were certainly weren't a lot of people who had, you know, were from the LGBTQIA community or, or anything along those lines. Uh, I guess, how did you kind of bring all of these elements together? Well, you know, it's funny. My favorite show of all time is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That was the show that really made me want to write for television. But what, um, what uh, an aspect of that series that has not aged well. Uh, when you look back on it, is that the cast is almost entirely white. Right. And for the first half of the series, it, they were all straight, too. The second half of the series, they did start to um, bring a lot of queer elements into it. And the show always championed women, of course, but really it was not very kind towards people of color. 
Um, and I guess in pop culture, people wouldn't get dragged for that back then, but they will now because we expect things uh, from our entertainment these days. We expect that the entertainment that we want will show us the world that we live in, but it's not quite happening yet. So um, there really wasn't a show that uh, was in the genre that I love so much that also was entirely, uh, you know, led by people of color, people in the LGBTQIA community, and women. And speaking of women, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let Kara and Allie talk. Okay, yeah, no, okay so, so Kara, my, my next question is for you. I, I, I understand that you play the part of Quinn, right? Uh, how were how you brought on? And, and I guess tell us a little bit about what makes Quinn tick. Uh, sure. So I found it on Actors Access, which is a casting website that you can submit yourself on. And uh, I go through a lot of casting nightdowns <laughs> every day. I've actually screenshotted some of them because they're so um, flat. Uh, a lot of them say, for example, um, pretty but natural, um, naive but sexy, innocent but a prostitute. And so it's really hard. Jeez. And especially when you're looking at Asian women, a lot of them, tiger mom, ninja, must speak Japanese. And I am now on my um, mother's side, my great grandparents came over. On my dad's side, he was born there, but he's a daughter of the American Revolution on his dad's side. So I am very American. And as a Japanese American, that is that much American, it's hard for me sometimes to find roles for Asian women that don't kind of Hollywoodize the Asian American experience, make us all ninjas who are fresh off the boat. Um, and so I, that was one thing about the breakdown, that they wanted her to be Asian. Um, and another thing was a lesbian stoner, which again, Asian <laughs> women with a predilection for weed is just not something I see very often. I'm fascinated by a desire to um, reach for a substance that could make life easier. And like that kind of thing about Quinn really, really interested me, the private investigator part of her being sort of entrepreneurial in spirit, but then also really laid back and sarcastic. So there were a lot of what a teacher of mine would call ragged edges and dichotomies that I really liked about her. Oh, I like ragged edges. Ragged edges. Like I'm going to use that. No, there's, a, there's a lot of good sound bites that are coming out of this interview. Holy God. Uh, okay, uh, Allie, the floor is yours. Uh, tell us a little bit more about how you got involved and, and uh, what you bring to the table in terms of your character casting. Um, so I came, I came on as a producer and Tim wrote um, Natalia with me in mind which was really awesome it's always awesome to have somebody write something for you <laughs> especially after working together and having he knew he kind of knew my strengths and where I wanted to um kind of explore more was uh kind of piggybacking off of what Kara was saying is there's not uh, as an actor I get called in a lot as a Latina but they don't really know what I feel like people just don't really know what they want in casting anymore because everyone says you know ethnically ambiguous that could really mean anything and that's kind of where I've been slotted lately I go in for you know Caucasian and I don't quite fit in there I go in for Lat Latina or Latinx and, and I don't quite fit in there so this was really and that's something that I had talked about often with Tim is just you know like I don't ethnically speaking there's there's such a a need to fill ethnic spots and that's what is what demon hunter kind of does and doesn't do at the same time it just normalizes being who you are rather than trying to put you in a specific box which is what most castings and most shows are trying to do just to show that they're kind of going with that diversity initiative but like what was what Kara was saying is you know like the the latin who 
is, you know, who cooks and eats and whatever. And then there's the, the Latin who is kind of a chola. And then there's the Latin who's there's there's a whole bunch of different sides that people just try to marginalize. And I don't and I think what Tim did really, really nicely. And, and I'm going to throw a bone out here to Zach as well, who co-wrote the show. Um, what they did really well was just created this landscape that was the background of the show where you can be LGBTQIA everything. You can be everything. You can be any color. You can be any anything. And that's just kind of the background. So we don't talk about that, really. It just exists. This is the world that we live in. And that's what really drew me to this world was you're now just talking about you're talking about the fun, the demons, the the monsters, the the witchiness, and it's not about acceptance and love, which is just kind of there. That's the background. So I think that's what they did so well was create this world that just exists, which is where we should be today. And we're we're not quite there, but um, I like that it's kind of a silent commentary on that, you know. Okay, now, now this is a good segue into the question that I just got in the chat room here from Paul Reeves, who is a friend of mine and a, a filmmaker in Glasgow. Uh, Paul has a really good question. Paul, and thank you for, for having brought this up because I never probably would have thought to put this fine a point on it, but I'll, I'll ask it here because all three of you can answer it. Uh, the question is, as a filmmaker here, uh, what is uh, your take, what are your respective takes um, on addressing on screen a character's sexuality rather than not addressing it at all and having the audience potentially guessing? Um, well, the audience won't have to guess because our show is pretty racy, so okay. there's very few questions about what people are into because okay, <laughs> you yeah. see it on screen. Okay, um, but I will say, uh, in, the, in the world of the show, um, homophobia and sexism and transphobia and racism don't actually exist. We figured if we're going to set it in an alternate universe where monsters and demons are commonplace and people know about them, we might as well um, set it in a world where everyone is sort of accepted for who they are. And that's not to say that people don't define themselves. In fact, because Ali's character, Natalia, is bisexual. At one point, a uh, heterosexual character, a man, is attracted to her but assumes that she's gay because she was in a relationship with a woman. So there's a, a scene where Ali explains that she's bisexual, but it's not played like a coming out scene. It's almost a throwaway scene. So there is some definition of who people are, but there's never really an issue about it. Yeah, I think for, for me at least, like playing characters uh, and having played characters where their heterosexuality is such a large part of their persona, which again, plight of women in this industry, their heterosexuality is used as a marketing tool oftentimes. Um, and even sometimes their, <laughs> their non-willing heterosexuality is used as a marketing tool. And I've been in somewhat positions like that and have had to argue my way out of them. And I think it, it's one of those things where as a filmmaker you have ideas that you want to put up about the world. And I think that if we're going to be so overt about expressing heterosexuality to the point that when you watch a movie, you assume that 100% of the characters are heterosexual, unless you get the quirky gay best friend, uh, I think that it's also nice to have something on the other side that that is more overt about other, like the fluidity of sexuality, essentially. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, it's nice, uh, to have, it's nice to have a world where you can just kind of assume that everybody you know, not that everybody is gay per se, but that everybody is what, you know, it, everyone's into whatever they're into, <laughs> you know, right. it doesn't have to be assumed that, you know, that the women are, are heterosexual, the men are gays because they're, in, they're shown together, whatever the situation is. But I, I think that's, and, and something kind of 
going backwards a little bit into what Tim said too. And again, I, I'm blowing a lot of smoke up on Tim today, but okay, <laughs> um, I love it. It's okay, he he loves it. So, I, yeah. um, but he he also writes really great female characters, and that is something that I know Kara kind of expressed as well. That these these women are powerful women, and it's not just because they're kicking ass and taking names. You see their you see their relationships and how they work together, and and how Natalia, you know, kind of she she ends up taking over the the manager side of this business and Quinn is an entrepreneur and it's, it's a really interesting kind of, you know, way to portray women where it's, it's, you know, we're powerful in our own right. And it's not about who we are into romantically. That's going to make or break this show, you know? And I, I know that you guys are all on the, uh, the crowdfunding campaign trail here. Uh, uh, you know, in the last couple of minutes that we have together here, I, I know that you're on Seed and Spark. You've got about three days left, and you're you're doing a good clip in, in terms of uh, getting close to your target here. Uh, I, I guess how how's that been for the three of you? Stressful. <laughs> there we go. Uh, crowdfunding campaigns are not for the faint of heart. Let me tell you. Uh, spoken uh, like an honest person. Uh, that's, yeah. Uh, right. What do you think, Allie? Uh, yeah, it's um. There's there's something every day, every minute. <laughs> I mean, there, and like we're constantly texting and calling and talking and getting together. And I mean, I love you guys, but I'm going to be happy for, you know, come July 5th when I'm going to get a day <laughs> it, It's um, like imagine the five people are in a marriage and they're just always <laughs> on top of each other. Yeah, you could use a little break. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's one part of the independent entertainment experience that I really am glad that I got to miss out on as a podcaster. I, <laughs> I, I, I can help all you guys, but you know what? I can, at the end of the day, I can sit back and watch. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. I, so, I do have to say it's really but, um, an interesting psychological study in who, you know, really steps up and supports you in your in your goals and people who will say that right. you know on a day-to-day -day basis and then those that actually you know put kind of put their money where their mouth is I know it sounds trite but that's it's true and it's really been very interesting to see all the support and and now growing from you know lovely podcasts and interviews like you we have we have strangers even donating because it's such a wonderful show for for them too one thing I do want to uh put out there though is I have to and I'm not just saying this because she's sitting, or sitting right next to me but I have to thank Kara as well as Edmund Truong and Tamari Fletcher who are uh, the other actors that we cast through auditions because you guys really have shown up and you've really helped us out and that's not something that you have to do as actors no you don't and the fact that you've absolutely been, yeah and you've been so generous with your time it's been amazing so thank you oh yeah <laughs> I think it's like one of those no I've crowdfunded before for other projects and I think I haven't had as clear of a why I'm doing it necessarily. And I think this team and this project does, I mean, I could talk ad nauseum about the good in the world that projects like this do. And I think that that helps when pitching it. Cause it's like, oh, I want to tell people because I think this could, and it sounds a little King Arthur, but I think it could change the world. This is a bit of a round table concept. Uh, and having everybody at the table to have right for might is, is a nice, or might for right, sorry, instead <laughs> of might for right. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, thanks. 
Okay, uh, guys, we have to tie this up here, but I want to make sure we get in a good solid plug. First of all, I'd be proud to have you back uh, in a couple of weeks if you want to talk about how the uh, the crowdfunding campaign closed out. So if you want to do that, uh, I'll throw sure. the floor open to the invitation. I'll, I'm going to be doing another show in two weeks. If you want to come back, let me know, and I'd be proud to have you back on again. All right? Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, okay, so uh, Ali, yeah. uh, Ali uh, where can people go to learn more about you really quickly? Um, I have a website, AliRivera.com. I also have a production company of my own, LessonOneEntertainment.com. That's with the number one. Um, and obviously, DemonHunter.com. No E. D-E-M. D oh my gosh, now I can't spell. D-E-M-O-N-H-U-N-T-R.com. And that's where our campaign is. Okay, uh, Tim, better up. Uh, yeah, I'll just echo that, DemonHunter.com. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at uh, DemonHunterShow. Okay, and Carla, last words with you. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Definitely check out demonhunter.com. You can see a video, a couple videos I was in, and uh, also thefilmkind.com, like mankind, but thefilmkind.com. Okay, great. Uh, and I think I've got Jordan on the line. Jordan, are you there? I am. Hi, okay, guys. so uh, I just want to let you guys know that you're on the line with Jordan Bain here. Jordan uh, is an old friend of mine who has been on the show a few times, uh, a multi-award winning filmmaker who's uh, been exhibited uh, internationally and, and uh, also is a big advocate of the uh, the LGBTQIA community. And, and Jordan, uh, I've got a group of uh, people on here who are working on a uh, web series called Demon Hunter that, that is a, a comedy sci-fi horror romp uh, that, that focuses on uh, on showcasing uh, characters from the LGBTQIA community. So, Oh, great. Well, happy Pride, guys. Happy Pride. <laughs> yes, happy Pride. Yeah, and, uh, and congratulations. This sounds awesome. We're... we're where um, can I find it? Did you guys already announce that? I'll make sure. I'll make sure, I, I'll make sure I get. I'll make sure I get you the link, Jordan. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll make cool, sure. Cool. All right, I'll drop it into the uh, the Skype chat for you. All right. Nice. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, Jordan, I'm just going to ask you to hold on the line. I'm going to have to sign off because I need to split up the file sizes here sure. so, to to be able to do this. So, Jordan, please don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to tee up the uh, the second half of the uh, cutting room floor here. We're going to be back in just a second with uh, with Jordan Bain. Again, <clears throat> on behalf of all my guests today, uh, Kat Sullivan, Tim O'Leary, uh, Kara Mitsuko, and Ali Rivera there, I got them all. And Jordan Bain is going to be on in a couple of minutes. Again, with uh, a special thank you to Tracy McCormick and Leo Savoli, even listen to Casey Ryan on the cutting room floor. And we'll be right back. Cut, print, wrap, and I am <laughs> done. That was another edition of The Cutting Room Floor with your host, Casey Ryan. Follow Casey on Twitter at Cutting Room MRB and on Facebook, The Cutting Room Floor.